Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. As we head into the Thanksgiving holiday week, we have some suggestions for Native films to watch when you have some downtime. The Native Cinema Showcase has 35 films available online starting today. There are major studio releases and small independents, dramas and comedies, full-length features, and shorts just over two minutes. There's entertainment for everybody, and we'll get a small preview of some of the films right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Two controversial amendments were voted down Thursday at the National Congress of American Indians Annual Convention. Rhonda Lavaldo has more. As voting took place early in the day, many attendees at NCAI had a wide range of opinions in both support and opposition on the amendments regarding membership. The two calling for only federally recognized tribes to be voting members and also for leadership roles failed to pass. Daryl Waldron, chief of the Sakonk Wampanoag tribe, was in opposition. I thought it was disgusting. The argument pre-recognition, we worked on the recognition applications back in the 70s, creating it, uh, and it was disgusting to hear what I heard today, and uh, not today, but this week, and to see a lack of education of the time span that had happened between, you know, first contact and then 200-something years later, um, contact and a lot of the work was done in the middle somewhere as you know uh, and, and I don't believe the intentions were to come across as malice. Christopher Tabby, vice chairman of the Ute Indian tribe was among the tribes in support of the passage of the amendment to limit NCAI's eligibility criteria. I don't think it's uh, fair for them to just vote on things that not, aren't going to be affecting them and things that they vote on could hurt a tribe somewhere else, maybe a recognized tribe where they're a state, it doesn't bother them. They're not party to it. They can just say, oh, okay, we'll just go back to our state and deal with them, right? Funds through them or whatever, funnel through them. So I think that um, it's important for, uh, one thing is important is that we're not saying, I'm not saying that they're not Indians or they're not natives or they have no culture or they have none of that stuff, but I'm just saying, Go get federally recognized and can you can come back to the table. The next leaders of NCAI were also decided on, including the top position of President Mark Makaro, Pechanga Tribal Chairman, won that leadership role and will fill the place of outgoing NCAI President Fawn Sharp. Makaro, along with the next First Vice President, Secretary and Treasurer, will be sworn in on Friday as the convention wraps up in New Orleans. This is Rhonda Lovaldo for National Native News. PBS's Native America had the last episode of its second season air this week. For the Mountain West News Bureau, Dylan Samard reports the program received positive reception across the country. Native America is a series that showcases the ways that Native people are shaping modern American society. In science, sports, culture, and more. Native public media has done some polling that shows the reaction in Colorado and Alaska has been extremely positive. Loris Taylor is CEO of Native Public Media a network of tribal public radio and television stations. She says the show challenges stereotypes and gives Native Americans more representation in popular media. I think if you look at the ecosystem that we have, there's a lot to share. 
and Native Americans are just beginning to flex their storytelling arm. That's really wonderful to see. Taylor hopes that enthusiasm among the viewing public will lead to a third season. I'm Dylan Samard. Native Public Media and Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, which produces national Native news, worked on events and conducted Native Radio Station outreach for Native America Season 2. This week, a small delegation from the Cherokee Nation attended a U.S. Senate committee hearing on the nomination of Sarah Hill to serve as a federal judge in Oklahoma. Hill's a citizen of the Cherokee Nation and the tribe's former attorney general. The Cherokee Nation is supporting her nomination and advocating for it to move forward. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Drummond Woodsum, a full-service law firm whose nationally recognized tribal nations practice provides services to tribal nations and their enterprises and to companies that do business with tribes across the country. More at dwmlaw.com. Support by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium, working to ensure tribal colleges and universities are included in our higher education system. Information on 37 tribal colleges and universities at AIHEC.org. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. For the next week, the public will have the chance to see the list of films selected for this year's Native Cinema Showcase. There are 35 films going online today. Most of those are short films, some just two minutes or so, but there are also six feature-length films. They range from a dramatic period piece set in New Zealand to an inspiring portrait of a young Navajo woman intent on improving the place where she and her people live. There are a number of independent films, all with Native talent on both sides of the camera. The Native Cinema Showcase is developed by the National Museum of the American Indian. This year's theme for all 35 films is Indigenous Perseverance. And today we'll get a sampling of what's available. You're welcome to join the conversation. Maybe you had a chance to see some films at this year's Santa Fe Indian Market. Or maybe you just want to talk about some of your favorite Native films. Give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us now from New York City is Cynthia Benitez. She is the Native Cinema Showcase Program Manager for the National Museum of the American Indian, NMAI. Cindy, welcome back to Native America Calling. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great, thank you. Joining us from Santa Fe, New Mexico is Pishon Bread. They are a filmmaker and model and a writer, producer, and the director for the film, The Daily Life of Mistress Red. They are Comanche. Pishon, you've been here as well. Welcome back to NAC. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to join you this morning. And joining us in our Albuquerque studio is Jason Asnap. He is a writer, critic, and filmmaker. He's also the writer and director for the short film Marlin. He is Comanche and Muscogee. Jason, thanks for coming in. Welcome back to the show as well. Hey, thanks, Sean. 
And joining us from Windsor, Ontario, Canada is Lydell Mitchell. He is the director for the film Heroes of the West. He is Diné. He also plays the title role in the film Marlin. Hello, Lydell. Welcome to the show. Good morning, everyone. Hello. Good morning, Lydell. Great to have you along with our other guests. And Cindy, I'm going to go ahead and start with you today. The theme, of course, of Native Cinema Showcase this year is Indigenous Perseverance. There's triumph over adversity, sometimes in a dramatic way, sometimes it's very funny. What did it take to land all the films for this year's list? Uh, it was really hard. <laughs> we had so many incredible <laughs> films um, this past year that um, came through us either through film festivals, um, through submissions, because we're not a submission-based festival, um, through research. There was just so many amazing you know, Native Indigenous films that um, it was very, very tough to narrow it down. But, I mean, it was just we have an incredible breath this year, and we're so excited that audiences will be able to see it online and take their time and watch it. Well, it certainly feels like there are a lot more Indigenous filmmakers producing material Cindy, do you have any gauge or, or on the progress for representation over the years? Like, say, with the last 10 years, or do you just think there's a lot more Native films being made? Oh, absolutely. I mean, even because I've, I've been in this industry for almost close to 20 years, and to see the amount, the breadth of incredible films that have come out, either producing, directing, and even writing has been absolutely incredible. It's just, that's why it's so hard, and I guess that's a good thing so hard for us to select films because there's just so much content. And I think it's because um, everything's so accessible now in terms of like, you could, you know, shoot your film off an iPhone. You could do all these like things and upload it. You don't have to go through a distributor. So there's just so much out there and it's just really incredible. And it's, I, I can't wait to see what the next 10 years is going to look like. Well, give us some highlights. I mean, of these 35 films, which are ones that really stand out and which ones do you want to share with listeners today? Well, I love them all. I can't, <laughs> I love them all. Mm -hmm. They're all super incredible, but um, the ones, I mean, that really stand out are, you know, the ones that are really personal stories like Powerlands from um, Ivy Camille. So not only does she focus on her own um, personal story about being a Navajo woman and the atrocities that happen with, climate change and oil drilling. She also talks about, you know, other other countries um, that are also dealing with the same thing. And then, you know, we have a New Zealand film that are eight vignettes of beautiful stories from past, present, and future. Um, that's called We Are Still Here. Then we have these amazing selection of shorts programs, like Marlon from Jason Eisenap, like that I've seen him, his breadth of work as well. And you know, P. Sean Bread, who used to be a little teenager helping us with Native Cinema Showcase. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, P. Sean, that's a great opportunity to bring you into the conversation. And uh, let's talk a little bit about your film, uh, The Daily Life of Mistress Red. And Pishan, this is interesting. I, I watched the film, of course, and, and I know you told our producer not to watch the film with kids in the room. And uh, there are some sexual themes in the context of, of a dominatrix. And what inspired you to put this film together? Thank you. Um, 
I would like to start off by saying that it's a huge honor to be a part of Native Cinema Showcase. I have literally dreamt of this moment since I was like a teenager helping uh, Cindy with the festival and um, watching all the Native film. And I am just so happy and lucky to be with a group of um, really talented peers this morning. So I'd like to start off by saying that. But the inspo for Mistress Red comes from many different places. Um, I originally wrote it in... 2019 when I was living in San Francisco. Living out in San Francisco, I was exposed to so many wonderful communities. There was a really strong Native community, a Two-Spirit community, and of course, a um, BDSM community as well. And I had made a bunch of wonderful friends out there who were who really um, helped me get situated in the area. And one of the things that came up was, you know, it was after the Women's March in, 20, I think it was early 2019 during the women's march where there, there was that whole incident at the capitol with like that young trumper like smiling at that guy with a hand drum do you remember that i do remember yes 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 and so we were having a discussion about that and we were talking about like white supremacy and you know what should what should be done about it and a few of my dominatrix friends they were saying oh well why don't we just like whip all of them why don't we just give them like like they all just need to be whipped <laughs> And I was just like, okay. I said, all right, well, that's a colorful solution. Um, so I decided then to make a, uh, a comedy short about that, about a Native dominatrix who takes white supremacists as her clients, as her clientele. And it's supposed to be, you know, a parody. It's not supposed to be taken too seriously. But um, what I love about it is that it resonates with so many people. And it opens up the conversation of sexuality, kink, and uh, women being able to have their own sexuality. And I think that's something that's really important and that I've learned about the screenings of the short from Indian countries. A lot of um, older women, I thought it would appeal more to my crowd, but a lot mm-hmm. of um, older women really felt the uh, presence and power from the film, which I thought was interesting. That is interesting, Pishan. Let's go ahead and get a taste of the short film. In this clip, we hear Tyra Nicolay as Taylor, and she's speaking with the title character played by Jennifer Radar. And it's safe to say Taylor walked into something that she didn't expect, and this is the point where she's opening herself up to new horizons. Girl, that is perfect for Roger. Who's Roger? Well, he's one of my clients. Can we meet him? I don't know, he's pretty camera shy. Command him. Well, if he consents. But if you want to be near him during our session, you have to wear something too, even if it's just boots. <laughs> um, I guess. Yeah. Here, try this on. What do you think? Mistress Red, Pishon, that's that's got to be challenging to compress a whole story like this into a short format. What does that take? It takes a lot of editing. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a lot of editing, but just uh, I think natural. Well, this is the first ever short that just felt so natural for me to write within a short form. I think it took just a clear vision of beginning, middle, and end to put it together. But originally it was 20 minutes long because I had an extra character. 
but decided to leave the character on the cutting room floor and to make it 10 minutes. So it took a lot of editing and a lot of, uh, all pun intended, restraint. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you like being provocative in your work like this and kind of pushing boundaries a little bit? Oh, absolutely. I, I tend to write a lot of stories that are focused on Native women, queer stories, because I myself as a queer filmmaker think it's appropriate to talk about those things. But within my personal work, every, anything that I do, whether it's art, film, fashion, I love pushing boundaries and kind of creating more dialogue and creating more space in different genres, because I believe it's important that people know that Native people can exist in any genre, and we have many stories to tell, and all of them aren't the same. Native Cinema Showcase. It is available online uh, for the next week, and we're talking with producers, we're talking with organizers, we're getting the full rundown on 35 films going online today. And right now we've got Pishon Bread on the line, and she's giving us information on the film that they put together, and it's called Mistress Red, The Daily Life of Mistress Red. So we're going to take a short break, and we're going to come back. We're going to talk more with Pishon as well as our other guests who are on the line now. We're going to get more clips from some of the films that are being featured, and we're going to talk with the producers. We're going to talk also with some of the talent that has appeared in these films. So anybody, any cinema buffs that are listening to the show today, if you've got comments, if you've got insights to share, or if you've had a chance to watch any of these films yourself, give us a call. Tell us what you think, what you liked about them, what your feedback is. Our phone lines are open. Producers are standing by. We're waiting for your call right now. So what are you waiting for? 1-800-996-2848. It's a Friday afternoon here at Native America Calling, and we're talking about the Native Cinema Showcase. Robot competitions have moved beyond just extreme fighting machines. One gathering brings together as many as 250 Native students to showcase their take on some of the useful aspects of robotics. In the process, it develops their STEM skills. We'll hear firsthand from students and coaches about the new direction for robotics competitions. That's on the next Native America Calling. The Association on American Indian Affairs welcomes all to Tribal Museums Day, December 2nd through the 10th. Tribal museums may offer no-cost or reduced admission, art markets, and cultural demonstrations. Tribal Museums Day honors Native nations as the experts of their diverse cultures. A map of tribal museums and more is available at Indian-Affairs.org slash Tribal Museums Day. The Association on American Indian Affairs supports this show. Thanks for tuning in to Native America Calling today. We're getting a peek at some of the talent behind the films in the Native Cinema Showcase. 35 films are available online right now at no charge, and they'll be online for the next week. Join our conversation at 1-800-996-2848. Cynthia Benitez is the Native Cinema Showcase Program Manager for the National Museum of the American Indian. Cynthia, tell us more about this online format. How can our listeners access this, and uh, how can they watch the films? Yeah, apologies for earlier that it dropped off. Um, so they can access it on our website, AmericanIndian.si.edu. And all the films all available there. You can select whatever film you feel like watching. Um, it's available 
And it's also, um, we're very proud of this, it's also accessible for those who are visually and hearing impaired. We have audio descriptions, we have closed captions and open captions. So anybody can have access to it and it is completely free. Now, is this the first time that you have this online accessibility for Native Cinema Showcase or have you been doing this for a few years? Actually, um, this is actually the first time that we've actually done it um, completely fully. It's been highly requested, and um, the Smithsonian Institution um, realizes that, you know, we have so many um, folks who really are film buffs, but they can't see it. And they want to make sure that, you know, all of our programs at our museum, whether it's online or in person, is accessible to everybody. So. This year, we made an effort to do that, including in Santa Fe was the first time we had um, open captioning for the entire, um, entire four days. And then for this one, we have now both closed caption and audio description, you know, for any. Pishon, back to you. And how, how important is it for you to have access to the, the Native Cinema Showcase? Because I know I, I've heard you share that it's been troubling it's been difficult for you at times to get your film in front of audiences so this sounds like a a really good platform for you and some of the other filmmakers this is an incredible platform for us and for us native filmmakers i can definitely tell you that when you make a film you you run into the idea of like where do where does it go when you finish with the festival tour and also with festival tours which festivals do you get into? Which ones do you get into? How can people see it? And most importantly, what happens to your film afterwards? And I think there's, I think it's important to have this platform to share with the community and for, for people to see it, and it's free. And I also have a lot of uh, friends who are deaf and who have been wanting to see this. So to have a platform be open with um, captions, like having captions and accessible for everyone, it's major it gives a lot it gives a lot of uh, people the ability to see native film aside from going to native film festivals which are expensive if you have to travel to see films like this could change so this could change so much for people who a want to see native film b who are looking for native talent and c for anybody who wants to become a filmmaker mm-hmm now, Pishon, there's there's critics, there's criticism, uh, constructive criticism, and then there's sometimes folks are just plain hostile when it comes to to movies or, or films that they don't understand. And and you've experienced some of that. Tell us about it. Yes, uh, I've experienced a lot of hate, a lot of anger, and even death threats when I first started casting this film. So I know that it's a sensitive topic to some, or some aren't ready for it, and that's okay. It's been really troubling, and it's really hindered me from promoting. Uh, recently, I had my Instagram page for the film taken down, and that was where I did all of my promotion and advertising and um, uploading, like, showtimes and things like that. But the Instagram was taken down, and, you know, there was, an, a, there was a point I was censored at a museum. Um, they decided to pull my film from the regular screenings of the other films and put mine on a QR code, which is understandable. Mm-hmm. But I feel that if people are truly invoked and provoked in a way that they're angry, my film is doing something. It's art. Art is supposed to provoke emotion, but 
I would really appreciate it if people would stop sending me death threats. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. not fun. I'm I'll like, bet. it's not yeah. fun. I'm Comanche. I take it seriously. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, Pishon. Jason, um, let's talk a little bit about your film and it appears to me to represent a journey for this main character and it's very upbeat but at the same time there's somewhat of an undercurrent of trauma there tell us more is this just a portrait of one person or is there more to the character that viewers need to take away from the film um yeah well so he, the the character was an actual person he was a friend of mine and he he passed away probably about 14 years ago and i the, yeah, telling this this story, it's not a documentary. It's more of like an homage to my friend, and um, and I wanted to. It's the tone is very. Di it's it's very difficult to to. It was difficult for me to to find the right tone, I guess, to tell this story because I didn't want it to be like a like a after school special type thing. You know, if people know what that is, I'm probably dating myself when I say that. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. <laughs> you remember that. <laughs> oh, yeah. So it's not, you know, it's just, you know, and I'm primarily, you know, I was thinking about this. Um, I, I'm really interested in telling the stories of artists. And um, the last three films that I've done have all been basically about writers in particular and kind of the journey of, of either being a writer or working with a writer and just the story of how art is created. You know, I was, I'm the son of an artist, and I grew up around artists. My dad was my dad's a painter; he's still painting. Um, so I just I've always been fascinated by by artists, and in, in this in this case, the past decade, I guess, writers being that I'm a writer as well. Um, so Marlon is is a story about um, while he is an indigenous man, he's all he's it's a story of an artist and an artist's journey. Artist Journey, Artist Journey. Let's go ahead and listen to a clip now from Marlon. This is Lydell Mitchell as the title character. Man, I was with them all. Short and the opposite of that. White and of course, my own. She was fiery. sweet. And Emma. Are you about ready? Oh, ready. Oh, what is there to say about Emma? That's an excerpt from the film Marlin. Jason, I got to tell you, that was my favorite scene. I loved it. It was a flashback of the romances the main character is <laughs> reflecting on. And can we say this character is coming to grips with his past and current life? Yeah. Like, so the actual Marlin himself, I always viewed him as like this kind of romantic individual who was always talking about, you know, women and like his latest romance and and I was, I was always like, it's funny. It was, it was, it was charm. He was charming in that way that he was, you know, he was always full of uh, life. And so this character that I created in this, 
in this film that Lydell Mitchell plays, plays so well. I try to make him as you know as uh, charming as the original you know the the character that inspired um, this character. Um, yeah. Well, we've got Lydell on the line now. Uh, Lydell, tell us more. I mean, this role that you had in in Jason's film, you play Marlin. Um, what made you think this was the right role for you? Um, I I felt like the right role because uh. It didn't seem like a, a whole a, a big stretch because I'm an artist too, and I feel like I'm an, I'm a native artist, multidisciplinarian, I guess. And so I, I, I felt like I could connect with this fellow on, on one level or another, you know. And and we've all we've all got a past, so it was really easy to connect with with uh, that scene that you were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, well, you mentioned the character; it's relatable and. Were there any specific scenes that you just really felt like um, you just really dialed into, like, hey, this is very autobiographical in, in a sense with my own life? Uh, I, I think this, there's a scene in the, in the middle of the, of the film there, uh, just after the one you were talking about, where uh, Marlon and, uh, and the female um, lead there are talking in the, in the vehicle when she comes to pick him up, and there's a little heart-to-heart there where he stops joking and he starts being a little bit serious about, you know, about her request to have him take care of himself. And so I really think that was, I really, that was really cool. It was really a real interesting moment because I think we, we as human beings have those moments often when we're trying to find someone and help someone with something that they may not um, necessarily need help with, but everyone else sees it, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. So Jason, I, I, I really like that part. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, it was, I, I enjoyed so much of that um, film. And of course, I enjoyed uh, the daily life of Mistress Red as well. And Jason, tell me a little bit more about a short film, because you know, your film's about 17 minutes long. And what's the process there with making a short film as opposed to, to making like a feature length film that's an hour and a half or two hours? Well, you know, I've I've been part of feature links. I've never actually made one myself. Just to clarify that, but um, yeah, so a short, much, you know, obviously much shorter, hence the name. <laughs> uh, so usually for me, if I'm if I'm making a short, it's going to be I'm trying to stick stay within ten to fifteen minutes. Although this one was seventeen, um, and usually I could probably shoot that in about four days. You know, with the the people with the right people, um, which. The people I used in this film were incredible. I've been using a lot of this. I've been working with a lot of the same folks for a while, <clears throat> and then we we just work like clockwork now. It's like really, it's nice to get like a tr- uh, what do you call it, like a troop, you know, a group of people that you're familiar with. That also helps a lot. So you 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 could speak the same language to each other, like film language and art language, and you have you know each other's nuances and kind of workflows. That helps a lot. Um, but I could probably and you know. Sally Kawayash was an incredible uh, AD and just kept us um, in line and it's structured and moving. And uh, she was incredible. Um, uh, that's Lydell's partner, um, mm-hmm. Lydell Mitchell's partner. Uh, so, um, yeah, all of those things, you know, and then a script. Of course, you obviously need a script. I've had this script laying around for probably about 10 to 12 years. And I basically just put it into into action when I got the funding, uh, luckily through the, the state and uh, the city of Albuquerque and the state helped me out a lot with this. Um, so yeah, yeah, money, 
and then the script, and then your your troupe, your acting troupe, your your crew, um, all of that you know contributes to like a a well a well made movie or hopefully well Jason, made. <laughs> Jason, how long did it take you to shoot the whole film? You know what's funny is we shot it like basically in four days, uh, right before the pandemic, like right before the pandemic. I think it was like February twentieth, as I was as I recall. And then the pandemic hit, and we just I just basically just sat on it because I was like, well, there's time to edit, there's time to you know clean this thing up, uh, and I basically sat on it, and, and I don't think I, I did like a like a test screening in Oklahoma. I did a test screening in Oklahoma City one year ago this month, like in November, at the Rodeo Cinema, and just you know just to see what people thought, and so I sat on it for a while. Got to, I didn't really necessarily want to send it out to any festivals. It was just going to be like online festivals, you know, mm-hmm. during COVID. Because I was like, I, you know, I really prefer to see be there in the crowd. If I if I'm going to screen a film, I want to see the reactions. I want to take the I want to do the Q and A. I want to answer questions. I want to be there. For me, art the film cinema is like a, you know, it's, I, I I like to be in the crowd. I like to <laughs> you know, it's a tactile. So are you happy? Are you happy theaters are open again and people are going back to the movies in person? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then, um, yeah, and I get to write about some of those things too. <laughs> right, right. Let's take a caller now, Charlie, who is listening in Fort Hall, Idaho, on KISU. Hello, Charlie. Welcome to the show. Oh, yes, you. How you doing, John? I'm uh, doing great, Charlie. Yeah, uh, I shot a few films, a few of them, and. Uh, you know, present them Sundance uh, Film Festival. But uh, the thing I found out, my problem was distribution. You know, I needed to take them to different theaters and meet people. And it costs a lot of money to make posters and things like that. And what I found out on social media is that, you know, you could, like like some of the ones I shot, they're half hour long, but you could put the action parts in there or the, exciting parts in there and put it on social media i've been doing that and you know some of those uh shots they uh they they generate about 200 and 250 million hits you know on people mm-hmm. liking what you what you put on there and that's you know really awesome it bypasses distribution altogether because more people are looking on their cell phones and things like right. that you know Right, right. No, Charlie, those are good points to make. And and Cindy, I want to ask you about that because it seems like distribution has changed so much. And as our caller Charlie mentions, it's all about like these bite-sized social media clips and people consume media so much differently than they did even just five, 10 years ago. So does that weigh into how you design the Native Cinema Showcase? No, not really. Um, Funny enough, a lot of our... Uh, films this year are actually owned by the filmmakers themselves. So we've been dealing with a lot more with filmmaker base rather than distributors. Like some of the feature films on here um, don't have distributors and then some do. So it's very interesting to see how that's changed as well. And, And you're right, like a lot of filmmakers are putting their films on Vimeo and YouTube and getting those millions of hits which is incredible you know because sometimes that too gives an interest to distributors to look at it and be like oh that's pretty cool i wonder what else they're going to do so it it benefits for all jason how about you do you put some of your stuff up on youtube and in, in short clips 
Uh, I usually give it about a couple of years. Like uh, I'll give a film like a like a festival run for a couple of years and you know see what because you if you if you're submitting to film festivals you really don't want to put your things up on YouTube or Vimeo. It's kind of frowned upon. So mm-hmm. um, I'll give it a couple of years and after that um, I'll I'll usually put it up for you know to, to for people to see. Right. Right. Native Cinema Showcase, uh, airing now online, 35 films. Uh, some are short films, some are feature length, uh, comedies, dramas, a full range of films. And we're talking about them today with producers as well as talent who appear in some of the films. And uh, anybody else, maybe you're a filmmaker. We just heard from Charlie up in Fort Hall, who is a filmmaker. Maybe you're a filmmaker too, or maybe you have aspirations and dreams of being a filmmaker, or maybe you just like going out and hanging out at the movie theater. Either way, give us a call. Tell us your story. 1-800-996-2848. Support by Vision Maker Media. Envisioning a world changed and healed by understanding Native stories and the public conversations they generate. 45-plus years of Native stories and Indigenous knowledge through film and media can be found at visionmakermedia.org. Skugtash. Support by Ramona Farms. For over 40 years, Ramona's American Indian Foods has revived tepary beans, panoli, traditional wheat flours, and more. Delivery for your holiday gatherings, available on orders placed at store.ramonafarms.com. Domnyot. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce, and still plenty of time to join our discussion today about the Native Cinema Showcase. Give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. Lydell Mitchell is on the line right now, and he plays the title role in one of the films we're talking about today, Marlin. And Lydell, you also like to work behind the camera like Jason. You do some directing, and tell me, how does your acting influence your directing and how does your directing influence your acting vice versa oh wow um that's it it it's uh it's hard to describe it's like um how can i put it uh uh, it's like uh, i i also play some music and i played guitar for a long time and then i started playing drums and then i went back to guitar and i tell you what being multidisciplinary and really can help out. So knowing what actors go through and then knowing what a director has to do before you even show up on set really will make the the work easier and flow better, I think. That's that's how I see it. You know, the more you know about what's happening on the set, the better the flow is and and especially if if an actor can can has some experience behind the camera, that's great. Mhm. Well, Adele, this uh, film you have, Heroes of the West, let's talk about that a little bit. It involves a relationship between two young boys. Why did you choose them to tell the story? Um, I think it's, uh, God, I could, talk, I could talk a whole hour about this, but um, it's, I think it's, what, it's where all of us come from. It's like our youth, you know, our, our most, some of our most um, amazing memories come from all of our youth, I think, you know. So my, my favorite stories come from when I was a kid and my, me and my best friend used to just ride around the streets of Albuquerque just getting into trouble and staying out of trouble, that sort of thing, you know, just just here and there, um, triple K and riding bicycles. Anyway, that, that was that was sort of my, my growing up in the 80s in Albuquerque. And so that was a real kind of gritty gritty town and a gritty, gritty part of town too. The, the international district is what they call it. But 
growing up there was was always fun and always an adventure. So that's that's where I that's where my heart is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting, Pishon. You are very involved in fashion. Uh, I know that you've got a fashion line, in fact, and you draw some of those fashion elements into uh, daily life of Mistress Red. Tell us about that. Yes. So fashion to me is very important through film. One of my idols that I really admire, uh, I really uh, admire within uh, filmmaking is Tom Ford. So Tom Ford is a American designer, but has also uh, dived into film and creates these beautiful, lush, visual uh, stories through characters' clothing and through fashion. And that's something that I love to do as well. I tend to be very stylized with all of my work, including the fashion. And one of the biggest things with BDSM and kink is fashion. There is that fine line between the two, and both of them being like uh, really being made by really well-known crafters and have the usage of different materials. But most importantly to me, I love native fashion and will always find a way to give it a platform. So you will see a bunch of different designers in the film. You'll see Jamie Okuma. You'll see native uh, jeweler Cody Sanderson. You'll see so many different uh, native fashion pieces throughout the whole film and also art pieces as well. So fashion to me is so important in my filmmaking. And I just think it's a beautiful way to show people all the different parts of Indian country, whether it be uh, film, fashion, jewelry, art. I think it's all important to talk about. I really like the character that Tyra Nicolay plays and um, you know, she comes in with the glasses and she's kind of like shy and she's like not really sure what to expect and then it all kind of unfolds. And how did you connect with Tyra? Because she was so good in that role. Oh my gosh, she was absolutely perfect. So uh, Tara Blackwater is incredible. She is actually from the Bay Area and she auditioned for the film. I had an actress that I originally had in mind and she fell through. And so Tara, you know, I messaged her. I was like, hey, are you able to do this? She was like, I'm in Washington, D.C., but I'll be there tomorrow. And it was like <laughs> right away. So she came in and we didn't really have a chance to rehearse, but... Um, she came in and she was just such a great actress. You know, I told her, I said, I really want camp with this. I want it to be campy and silly. And I want you to have like a lot of facial reactions and show it in your body that you're not comfortable with anything that's going on. And I, and that's also one of my favorite things with her character is showing her transition through the story, through her fashion choices, starting her off comfy in a sweater and wearing Uggs and then the big reveal at the end, which I'll leave to the audience. But Working with uh, Tara Nick, with uh, Tara Blackwater was amazing. She's just so funny, and the funniest part about all of this is that Ms. the actress who plays Mr. Thread, Jennifer Rader, um, both of them respectively are the opposite of their character. Um, Jennifer wasn't in, didn't really know much about kink or BDSM, and meanwhile, uh, Tara knew about kink and BDSM. So they were playing the opposite of each other, ah. which I thought was interesting and really reflective of their acting talent. Yeah, yeah, that really is. That's cool. And then Pishon also, I mean, let's talk about your work with the Marvel series Echo, and that's going to be premiering in January. Tell us more about your role in that series. Yes, so I was a consultant on the series, uh, meaning that I 
worked with the Choctaw Nation and helping them understand the process of uh, production while also being a consultant on many different aspects of the show. There are many scenes that required a lot of the Native community and different parts of the community. I can't really say too much without spoiling, so I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> but, um, okay. Bringing in Native artists and um, artisans and makers was also one of my favorite parts about working on Echo. Um, and bringing in Native talent, culture bearers. There were so many things that needed Indigenous perspective. And as a consultant, you know, one Native person is not the voice for all. So I was able to utilize my connections through Indian country to get other people involved on this and to help me out with it. So I was really grateful to work on such a project and to be so well connected to the community. And Pishon, just throughout your career, how have you seen representation change in both media and fashion? Have you seen some some major shifts over the years? Oh my goodness, absolutely. So I remember the first fashion show during Playa I was a part of, and it was a small show, and I was only 16, and it was called Fashion Heat. And, you know, there were maybe like four designers at the time. And, you know, I think about that. I think about the small fashion shows and um, Native designers coming up and thinking about Jamie Okuma being a part of the, um, being a part of the Fashion Designer Council. And that's huge. That's a huge moment for Native fashion. And thinking about all the Native people that are being featured in Vogue, I mean, for we had representation in Vogue. And through film, we had a whole show. We had Res Dogs. And we have so many upcoming Native talent and creatives. It's only going up from here. Right, right. Jason, you have a lot of creative outlets in addition to filmmaking. What are some of your other projects and uh, other interests that are, are driving you right now? Um, well, I do, I do write a lot of criticism, actually. Um, and I, I, would, I don't know if I'd call that creative, but, um, you know, I do a lot, I write a lot about Native film. And then I have a piece coming out next month that's actually not related to film. It's kind of about Southern Plains art and my dad's like place in the history of that. And that's for Alta Journal. And I'm kind of excited for that to come out. It's going to have like a nice little photo of, of my dad. Like a photographer came up from Austin to take a photo of my dad where he's working in Darko right now and at his art, his artist desk. And like, so it's going to be, uh, it's going to be cool. So yeah, I just try to keep busy and then I'm trying to work on my next, uh, you know, film project that I'm, I'm coming up with some ideas for that. Just keep, you know, okay. just keep busy. And I know you wrote a, a review, a film review of, of Killers of the Flower Moon. It was published on Vox. Uh, tell us more about that. Yeah, yeah. That was, um, Vox approached me to do that. And so I interviewed uh, three Osage uh, citizens that were part of the film in, in some way, shape, or form. Uh, and uh, just got, you know, their opinions. I wanted to get more of like an Osage perspective of, of, of the film. And because uh, I the things that I tried really hard actually not to read anything about it because it was like I didn't want to influence my own opinions about the film. And then when I saw the film, and it was a very long film, <laughs> and I had to <laughs> I had to whip it out real quick that uh, that um, that piece because I did not get to see it in advance. Um, so yeah, I mean I, I put that together as quickly as I could and pushed that out. And then uh, oh yeah, there is there is I forgot there's this I've been working I been working with Apple I think I could say that. Um, on a couple of projects, one I could definitely talk about is the um, 
Well, I, I, you know, Native American Heritage Month, I kind of worked with them on that. But in particular, I worked on a, uh, a Mapple apps. Uh, if you use the, the app, the Mapple app, the apps map, <laughs> that's hard to say. Um, <laughs> they had me uh, put together a list of 10 places for, to find indigenous uh, musics, uh, culture, and cinema. And so if you go to your Apple, if you, go, if you have an iPhone and you scroll down, on the, if you open the Apple map app, and scroll down to the bottom, you'll see my, my, my mug, and it'll be like 10 selections of places that I think are cool to find, like um, indigenous like music and, and go see to see films and, and stuff like that. I shouted out like as many places in town as I could, like the Guild, Keith Henley, uh, La Chancla, where you can see like a cool Diné uh, honky-tonk bands, like Midnight Stew, stuff like that. Mm. Apple Map app. Try saying that four times as fast as you can. <laughs> it's hard. Lydell, <huh? laughs> how about you? What do you have coming up? Oh, I got I, creatively. I've, I've started to, to dabble in um, um, some stand-up comedy because of uh, the differences I, I see heavily in my life in Albuquerque versus my life up in Canada. So but you have some dates coming up? Doing, and uh, some... Heroes of the West, too. Oh, you are? Okay. Well, tell us about your comedy. Do you have any shows coming up? No. I'm, like I said, I'm just starting that. It's just stand-up. Yeah. I'm not established. I just started this thing. <laughs> not at all. It's, it's, a, it's a rough road, and it's a lot of fun. What I love about it is I don't need a crew to do it. Just me. Right on. Right on. Jason, um, one thing about a short, you know, is you just – when you watch a film like that, you just kind of think, well, what's next, right? Because the, the short, the story, you know, unfolds so quickly. So any thoughts to revisiting Marlon in a future project? Yeah. So I, this, that script is actually part of like an interconnected series of scripts that I call Albuquerque that I put, I wrote this whole thing. It's like seven or eight different short scripts that I had wrote it. I'd wrote it like a, over a decade ago. And so I usually just, um, over the years, I just pick, I pull, pick and pull pieces of uh you know, from that script to make uh, when when the time is right. And, yeah, I, I might do another one of that um, here pretty soon. We'll see. I don't know. I'm looking. But they're all connected, and they're all about artists, like underground kind of native artists here set in Albuquerque. Um, so I might do another one Do another one of those in the future. All right. Pishon, any interest in uh, part two of Daily Life of Mistress Red? Absolutely. I actually wrote the short as a character pitching short and developed a series on the side. So now that the strike is over, let's get to work. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. We'll be waiting for that one. Cynthia, I want to go back to you as we begin to wind down the show in Native Cinema Showcase. I mean, it's just it's just growing. So um, what are you most excited about? Just looking ahead for next year and the years beyond it. It seems like it's just going to you're going to be able to conclude more films and just uh, keep expanding the whole format of, of the project. What, what are your thoughts? What are you looking forward to? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm just looking for, I mean, right now we're actually already starting to compile films and starting to look at them for the 2024 edition. So um, it just never stops. And I mean, and we'll be celebrating our 25th anniversary in 2025. So that will be even bigger. So look out for that, you know, maybe bringing some oldie book goodies back and, you know, some filmmakers. So it's just, 
I just, every year I get so excited. Like I, it's always anticipation of what's happening, who's coming out, what new filmmakers are, 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 you know, pushing through, what are the veterans doing? So it's, it's, um, it's just really joyful. And I, it, it's a constant excitement. It's a constant joy just to be doing what I'm doing and being able to give a platform to these incredible filmmakers to show their films. And for aspiring filmmakers interested in, in sending a film to the showcase, how do they go about doing that? So if you go on my if you go on the American Indian SI.edu website, um, you can actually um, email. There's like a general email that you can um, actually submit your film, and they will forward it to our to our team um, here in the film department. So you, they're. If we have our closing, well, we can't say submission, but like the last bit that we're going to accept any films are February 23rd. So please feel free to send it um, as long as it's within two years. You know, feel free to send. All right. And over the last 25 years, Cindy, what have been some of the like the, the one or two, some of the biggest films to come out of the Native Cinema Showcase that have gone on to, to larger platforms? Oh, boy. Um what are the big ones? Boy, Taika Waititi's film Boy. Um, mm. It was shown at Native Cinema Showcase before Taika Waititi was Taika Waititi, which if people don't know, um, he's one of the co-creators with Sterling Harjo on Res Dogs. He's done Thor. And so we had the opportunity to screen his film, and then the explosion afterwards was incredible. So... Um, we're very proud that we were able to do that. I mean, we screened films like from Sterling Harjo before he did Res Dogs. We screened um, Black Horse Low, you know, before he started doing like the bigger series. So we've had an opportunity to do amazing things, including Sydney Freeland, who is actually one of the directors on the Echo series. So, you know, All we right. got to screen her first feature film. So, you know, awesome. Great. Awesome. We are out of time. Unfortunately, we're going to have to wrap things up. But uh, big thanks to all of our guests today, Cindy Benitez, Pishon Bread, Jason Asnap, and also Lydell Mitchell for sharing highlights from the Native Cinema Showcase. We're back Monday with another show, so hope you'll tune in. Until then, our executive producer is Art Hughes. Our producers are Andy Murphy and Sol Traverso. Marino Spencer is the engineer. Show McPolin is the digital producer. Nola Daves Moses is the distribution director. Bob Peterson is the network manager for Native Voice One. Clifton Chadwick is our national underwriting sales director. Antonia Gonzalez is the anchor for National Native News. Charles Sather is our chief operations officer. The president and CEO of Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation is Jacqueline Salee. I'm Sean Spruce. Have a wonderful weekend. Support by StrongHearts Native Helpline, providing no-charge confidential support and resources to Native Americans affected by domestic and sexual violence 24-7 at 1-844-7-NATIVE or strongheartshelpline.org. Fry bread, that's the message. Support by Val's Fry Bread, providing her famous fry bread mixes and other products in wholesale and retail quantities at valsfrybread.com. Fry bread that will take you home, available wherever you live. Hey, hey. 
やんとにげにきなイシャステマアーツメとのなきとなんつめあてあとイスメリチェルタマーケプレスオープンにローマンアスティナイケーセサナトンイタクナトゥアスナタイユヤンネカニアナントナミスタクワモスアワシュアトタイストンヘアプケルタガウクナワナンタイストン1800318259960アペナナケナプトゥルキアセナスフォメリケアメリケーサーバシストンアペナニトロケナワヘエラクワ Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.